Chapter Twenty Three of Varney the Vampire. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Varney the Vampire, Volume One by Thomas Prescott Prest. Chapter Twenty Three: The Admiral's Advice to Charles Holland, The Challenge to the Vampire. When Charles Holland got his uncle into a room by themselves, he said, "'Uncle, you are a seaman, and accustomed to decide upon matters of honour. I look upon myself as having been most grievously insulted by this Sir Francis Varney. All accounts agree in representing him as a gentleman. He goes openly by a title which, if it were not his, could easily be contradicted, and therefore, on the score of position in life, there is no fault to find with him.' What would you do if you were insulted by this gentleman? The old admiral's eyes sparkled, and he looked comically in the face of Charles as he said, "I now know where you are steering." What would you do, uncle? Fight him. I knew you'd say so, and that's just what I want to do as regards Sir Francis Varney. Well, my boy, I don't know that you can do better. He must be a thundering rascal. Whether he's a vampire or not, so if you feel that he has insulted you, fight him by all means, Charles. I am much pleased, Uncle, to find that you take my view of the subject," said Charles. "I knew that if I mentioned such a thing to the Bannerworths, they would endeavour all in their power to persuade me against it. Yes, no doubt, because they are all impressed with a strange fear of this fellow's vampire powers. Besides, if a man is going to fight. The fewer people he mentions it to, the most decidedly the better, Charles. I believe that is the fact, Uncle. Should I overcome Varney, there will most likely be at once an end to the numerous and uncomfortable perplexities of the Bannerworths as regards him. And if he overcome me, why then, at all events, I shall have made an effort to rescue Flora from the dread of this man. And then he shall fight me," added the Admiral. "So he shall have two chances, at all events, Charles." Nay, uncle, that would you know scarcely be fair. Besides, if I should fall, I solemnly bequeath Flora Bannerworth to your good offices. I much fear that the pecuniary affairs of poor Henry, from no fault of his heaven knows, are in a very bad state, and that Flora might yet live to want some kind and able friend. Never fear, Charles. The young creature shall never want while the old admiral has got a shot in the locker. Thank you, uncle. Thank you. I have ample cause to know, and to be able to rely upon your kind and generous nature. And now, about the challenge, you write it, boy, and I'll take it. Will you second me, Uncle? To be sure, I will. I wouldn't trust anybody else to do so on any account. You leave all the arrangements with me, and I'll second you as you ought to be seconded. Then I will write it at once, for I have received injuries at the hands of that man or devil. Be he what he may, that I cannot put up with, his visit to the chamber of her whom I love would alone constitute ample ground of action. I should say it rather would, my boy. And after this corroborative story of the wound, I cannot for a moment doubt that Sir Francis Varney is the vampire, or the personifier of the vampire. That's clear enough, Charles. Come, just draw you write your challenge, my boy, at once. Let me have it. I will, Uncle. Charles was a little astonished 
although pleased, at his uncle's ready acquiescence in his fighting a vampire, but that circumstance he ascribed to the old man's habits of life, which made him so familiar with strife and personal contentions of all sorts, that he did not ascribe to it that amount of importance which more peaceable people did. Had he, while he was writing the note to Sir Francis Varney, seen the old admiral's face, and the exceedingly cunning look it wore, he might have suspected that the acquiescence in the duel was but a seeming acquiescence. This, however, escaped him, and in a few moments he read to his uncle the following note. To Sir Francis Varney. Sir, the expressions made use of towards me by you, as well as general circumstances which I need not further allude to here, induce me to demand of you that satisfaction due from one gentleman to another. My uncle, Admiral Bell, is the bearer of this note, and will arrange preliminaries with any friend you may choose to appoint to act in your behalf. I am, sir, yours, etc., Charles Holland. "'Will that do?' said Charles. "'Capital,' said the Admiral. "'I am glad you like it.' "'Oh, I could not help liking it. The least said and the most of the purpose always pleases me best, and this explains nothing and demands all you want, which is a fight.' So it's all right, you see, and nothing can possibly be better." Charles did glance in his uncle's face, for he suspected, from the manner in which these words were uttered, that the old man was amusing himself a little at his expense. The Admiral, however, looked so supernaturally serious that Charles was foiled. "'I repeat, it's a capital letter,' he said. "'Yes, you said so.' "'Well, what are you staring at?' "'Oh, nothing.' "'Do you doubt my word?' "'Not at all, uncle. Only I thought there was a degree of irony in the manner in which you spoke.' "'Not at all, my boy. I was never more serious in all my life.' "'Very good. Then you will remember that I leave my honour in this affair completely in your hands.' "'Depend on me, my boy.' "'I will, and do. I'll be off. See the fellow at once.' The Admiral bustled out of the room, and in a few moments Charles heard him calling loudly, "'Jack! Jack Pringle, you lubber, where are you? Jack Pringle, I say!' "'Aye, aye, sir,' said Jack, emerging from the kitchen, where he had been making himself generally useful in assisting Mrs. Bannerworth, there being no servant in the house, to cook some dinner for the family. "'Come on, you rascal. We're going for a walk.' "'Rations will be served out soon.' growled Jack. "'We shall be back in time, you cormorant, never fear. You are always thinking of eating and drinking, you are, Jack, and I'll be hanged if I think you ever think of anything else. Come on, will you? I'm going on rather a particular cruise just now, so mind what you're about.' "'Aye, aye, sir,' said the tar, and these two originals, who so perfectly understood each other, walked away, conversing as they went, and their different voices coming upon the ear of Charles until distance obliterated all impression of the sound. Charles paced to and fro in the room where he had held this brief and conclusive conversation with his uncle. He was thoughtful, as any one might well be, who knew not but that the next four-and-twenty hours would be the limit of his sojourn in this world. "'Oh, Flora, Flora!' he at length said. "'How happy we might have been! But all is past now and there seems nothing left us, and that is in my killing this fearful man, who is invested with so dreadful an existence.' 
and if I do kill him, in fair and in open fight, I will take care that his mortal frame has no power again to revisit the glimpses of the moon." It was strange to imagine that such was the force of many concurrent circumstances, that a young man like Charles Holland, of first-rate abilities in education, should find it necessary to give in so far to a belief which was repugnant to all his best feelings and habits of thought, as to be reasoning with himself upon the best means of preventing the resuscitation of the corpse of a vampire. But so it was. His imagination had yielded to a succession of events which very few persons indeed could have held out against. "'I have heard and read,' he said, as he continued his agitated and uneasy walk, "'of how these dreadful beings are to be kept in their graves. I've heard of stakes being driven through the body, so as to pin it to the earth until the gradual progress of decay has rendered its revivification a thing of utter and total impossibility.' Then again, he added, after a slight pause, I have heard of their being burned, and the ashes scattered to the winds of heaven, to prevent them from ever again uniting or assuming human form. These were disagreeable and strange fancies, and he shuddered while he indulged in them. He felt a kind of trembling horror come over him, even at the thought of engaging in conflict with a being who, perhaps, had lived more than a hundred years. That portrait, he thought, on the panel, is the portrait of a man in the prime of life. If it be the portrait of Sir Francis Varney, by the date which the family ascribe to it, he must be nearly one hundred and fifty years of age now. This was a supposition which carried the imagination to a vast amount of strange conjectures. What changes he must have witnessed about him in that time, thought Charles. How he must have seen kingdoms totter and fall! And how many changes of habits, of manners, and of custom must he have become a spectator of, renewing too ever and anon his fearful existence by such fearful means! This was a wide field of conjecture for a fertile information, and now that he was on the eve of engaging with such a being in mortal combat, on behalf of her he loved, the thoughts it gave rise to came more strongly and thickly upon him than ever they had done before. "'But I will fight him,' he suddenly said, "'for Flora's sake. Were he a hundred times more hideous a being than so many evidences tend to prove him, I will fight with him, and it may be my fate to rid the world of such a monster in human form.' Charles worked himself up to a kind of enthusiasm by which he almost succeeded in convincing himself that, in attempting the destruction of Sir Francis Varney, he was the champion of human nature. It would be aside from the object of these pages, which is to record facts as they occurred, to enter into the metaphysical course of reasoning which came across Charles's mind, suffice it to say that he felt nothing shaken as regarded his resolve to meet Varney the vampire, and that he made up his mind, the conflict should be one of life and death. "'It must be so,' he said. "'It must be so. Either he or I must fall in the fight which shall surely be.' He now sought Flora, for how soon might he now be torn from her for ever by the irresistible hand of death. 
he felt that during the few brief hours which now would only elapse previous to his meeting with Sir Francis Varney, he could not enjoy too much of the society of her who reigned supreme in his heart, and held in her own keeping his best affections. But, while Charles is thus employed, let us follow his uncle and Jack Pringle to the residence of Varney, which, as the reader is aware, was so near at hand that it required not many minutes' sharp walking to reach it. The Admiral knew well he could trust Jack with any secret, for long habits of discipline and deference to the orders of superiors takes off the propensity to blabbering, which, among civilians who are not accustomed to discipline, is so very prevalent. The old man therefore explained to Jack what he meant to do, and it received Jack's full approval. But, as in the enforced detail of other matters it must come out, we will not here prematurely enter into the Admiral's plans. When they reached the residence of Sir Francis Varney, they were received courteously enough, and the Admiral desired Jack to wait for him in the handsome hall of the house, while he was shown upstairs to the private room of the vampire. "'Confound the fellow!' muttered the old Admiral. "'He's well lodged, at all events. I should say he was not one of those vampires who have nowhere to go but their own coffins when the evening comes.' The room into which the Admiral was shown had green blinds to it, and they were all drawn down. It is true that the sun was shining brightly outside, although transiently, but still a strange green tinge was thrown over everything in the room, and more particularly did it appear to fall upon the face of Varney, converting his usually sallow countenance into a still more hideous and strange colour. He was sitting upon a couch, and when the Admiral came in, he rose and said, in a deep-toned voice, extremely different to that he usually spoke in, "'My humble home is much honoured, sir, by your presence in it.' "'Good morning,' said the Admiral. "'I've come to speak to you, sir, rather seriously.' "'However abrupt this announcement may sound to me,' said Varney, I am quite sure I shall always hear, with the most profound respect, whatever Admiral Bell might have to say." "'There's no respect required,' said the Admiral, "'but only a little attention.' Sir Francis bowed in a stately manner, saying, "'I shall be quite unhappy if you will not be seated, Admiral Bell.' "'Oh, never mind that, Sir Francis Varney, if you be Sir Francis Varney, for you may be the devil himself for all I know. My nephew Charles Holland considers that, one way and another, he has a very tolerable quarrel with you. I much grieve to hear it. Do you? Believe me, I do. I am most scrupulous in what I say, and an assertion that I am grieved you may thoroughly and entirely depend upon. Well, well, never mind that. Charles Holland is a young man just entering into life. He loves a girl who is, I think, every way worthy of him. "'Oh, what a felicitous prospect! Just hear me out, if you please.' "'With pleasure, sir, with pleasure.' "'Well, then, when a young hot-headed fellow thinks he has a good ground of quarrel with anybody, you'll not be surprised at his wanting to fight it out.' "'Not at all.' "'Well, then, to come to the point, my nephew Charles Holland has a fancy for fighting with you.' "'Ah! You take it damned easy.' "'My dear sir, why should I be uneasy? 
He's not my nephew, you know. I shall have no particular cause beyond those feelings of common compassion which I hope inhabit my breast as well as every one else's. What do you mean? Why, he is a young man, just, as you say, entering into life, and I cannot help thinking it would be a pity to cut him off like a flower in the bud so very soon. Oh, you make quite sure, then, of settling him, do you? Oh, my dear sir, only consider. He might be very troublesome, indeed. You know young men are hot-headed and troublesome. Even if I were only to maim him, he might be a continual and never-ceasing annoyance to me. I think I should be absolutely, in a manner of speaking, compelled to cut him off. The devil you do! As you say, sir. Damn your assurance, Mr. Vampire, or whatever odd fish you may be. Admiral Bell, I never called upon you, and received a courteous reception, and then insulted you. Then why do you talk of cutting off a better man than yourself? Damn it, what would you say to him cutting you off? Oh, as for me, my good sir, that's quite another thing. Cutting me off is very doubtful. Sir Francis Varney gave a strange smile as he spoke, and shook his head as if some most extraordinary and extravagant proposition had been mooted, which it was scarcely worth the while of anybody possessed of common sense to set about expecting. Admiral Bell felt strongly inclined to get into a rage, but he repressed the idea as much as he could, although, but for the curious faint green light that came through the blinds, his heightened colour would have sufficiently proclaimed what state of mind he was in. "'Mr. Varney,' he said, "'all this is quite beside the question. But at all events, if it have any weight at all, it could to have considerable influence in deciding you to accept the terms I propose. What are they, sir? Why, that you permit me to espouse my nephew Charles's quarrel, and meet you instead of him. You meet me? Yes. I've met a better man more than once before. It can make no difference to you. I don't know that, Admiral Bell. One generally likes, in a duel, to face him with whom one has had the misunderstanding, beyond what grounds it may. There's some reason, I know, in what you say, but surely, if I'm willing, you need not object. And is your nephew willing thus to shift the danger and the job of resenting his own quarrels on to your shoulders? No, he knows nothing about it. He's written you a challenge, of which I am the bearer, but I, voluntarily and of my own accord, wish to meet you instead." This is a strange mode of proceeding. If you will not accede to it, and fight him first, and any harm comes to him, you shall fight me afterwards. Indeed? Yes, indeed you shall, however surprised you may look. As this appears to be a family affair, then, said Sir Francis Varney, it certainly does appear immaterial which of you I fight with first. Quite so. Now— you take a sensible view of the question. Will you meet me? I have no particular objection. Have you settled all your affairs and made your will? What's that to you? Oh, I only asked, because there is generally so much food for litigation if a man dies intestate, and it's worth any money. You make devilish sure, said the Admiral, of being the victor. Have you made your will? Oh, 
my will, smiled Sir Francis, that, my good sir, is quite an indifferent affair. Well, make it or not, as you like. I'm old, I know, but I can pull a trigger as well as anyone. Do what? Pull a trigger. Why, you don't suppose I resort to any such barbarous modes of fighting? Barbarous? Why, how do you fight, then? As a gentleman, with my sword. Swords? Oh, nonsense! Nobody fights with swords nowadays. That's all exploded. I cling to the customs and fashions of my youth, said Varney. I have been years ago accustomed always to wear a sword, and to be without one now vexes me. Pray, how many years ago? I am older than I look, but that is not the question. I am willing to meet you with swords, if you like. You are no doubt aware that, as the challenged party, I am entitled to the choice of weapons. I am. Then you cannot object to my availing myself of the one in the use of which I am perfectly unequalled. Indeed. Yes. I am, I think, the first swordsman in Europe. I have had immense practice. Well, sir, you certainly made a most unexpected choice of weapons. I can use a sword still, but am by no means a master of fencing. However, it shall not be said that I went back from my word, and let the chances be as desperate as they may, I will meet you. Very good. With swords? Aye, with swords. But I must have everything properly arranged, so that no blame can rest on me, you know. As you will be killed, you are safe from all consequences, but I shall be in a very different position. So, if you please, I must have this meeting got up in such a manner as shall enable me to prove, to whoever may question me on the subject, that you had fair play. Oh, never fear that. But I do fear it. The world, my good sir, is censorious, and you cannot stop people from saying extremely ill-natured things. What is it that you require, then? I require that you send me a friend with a formal challenge. Well? Then I shall refer him to a friend of mine, and they too must settle everything between them. Is that all? Not quite. I will have a surgeon on the ground, in case, when I pick you, there shall be a chance of saving your life. It always looks humane. When you pink me? Precisely. Upon my word, you take these affairs easy. I suppose you've had a few of them? Oh, a good number. People like yourself worry me into them. I don't like the trouble, I assure you. It is no amusement to me. I would rather, by a great deal, make some concession than fight, because I will fight with swords, and the result is then so certain that there is no danger in the matter to me. Hark you, Sir Francis Varney! You're either a very clever actor, or a man, as you say, of such skill with your sword that you can make sure of the result of a duel. You know, therefore, that it is not fair play on your part to fight a duel with that weapon. Oh, I beg your pardon there. I never challenge anybody, and when foolish people call me out, contrary to my inclination, I think I am bound to take what care of myself I can. Damn me! There's some reason in that, too, said the Admiral. But why do you insult people? People insult me first. 
Oh, nonsense! How should you like to be called a vampire, and stared at as if you were some hideous natural phenomenon? Well, but— I say, Admiral Bell, how should you like it? I am a harmless country gentleman, and because in the heated imagination of some member of a crack-brained family some housebreaker has been converted into a vampire, I am to be pitched upon as the man, and insulted and persecuted accordingly. But you forget the proofs. What proofs? The portrait, for one. What? Because there is an accidental likeness between me and an old picture, am I to be set down as a vampire? Why, when I was in Austria last, I saw an old portrait of a celebrated court fool, and you so strongly resemble it, that I was quite struck when I first saw you with the likeness. But I was not so unpolite as to tell you that I considered you were the court fool turned vampire. Damn your assurance! And damn yours, if you come to that!" The Admiral was fairly beaten. Sir Francis Varney was by far too long-headed and witty for him. And now, in vain endeavouring to find something to say, the old man buttoned up his coat in a great passion, and looking fiercely at Varney, he said, "'I don't pretend to have the gift of the gab. Damn me, it ain't one of my peculiarities. But though you may talk me down, you shan't keep me down.' "'Very good, sir.' "'It is not very good. You shall hear from me.' "'I am willing.' "'I don't care whether you are willing or not. You shall find that once I begin to tackle an enemy, I don't so easily leave him. One or both of us, sir, is sure to sink.' "'Agreed.' "'So say I. You shall find that I am a tar for all weathers, and if you were a hundred and fifty vampires all rolled into one, I'd tackle you somehow.' The Admiral walked to the door in high dudgeon. When he was near to it, Varney said, in some of his most winning and gentle accents, "'Will you not take some refreshment, sir, before you go from my humble house?' "'No!' roared the Admiral. "'Something cooling?' "'No!' "'Very good, sir. A hospitable host can do no more than offer to entertain his guests.' Admiral Bell turned at the door, and said, with some degree of intense bitterness, "'You look rather poorly. I suppose to-night you will go and suck somebody's blood, you shark, you confounded vampire. You ought to be made to swallow a red-hot brick, and then let dance about till it digests.' Varney smiled as he rang the bell, and said to a servant, "'Show my very excellent friend Admiral Bell out.' He will not take any refreshments." The servant bowed and preceded the Admiral down the staircase, but, to his great surprise, instead of a compliment in the shape of a shilling or a half a crown for his pains, he received a tremendous kick behind, with a request to go and take it to his master with his compliments. The fume that the old Admiral was in beggars all description. He walked to Bannerworth Hall at such a rapid pace that Jack Pringle had the greatest difficulty in the world to keep up with him, so as to be at all within speaking distance. "'Hallo, Jack!' cried the old man, when they were close to the hall. "'Did you see me kick that fellow?' "'Aye, aye, sir.' "'Well, that's some consolation, at any rate, if somebody saw it. It ought to have been his master, that's all I can say to it, and I wish it had.' 
have you settled it, sir? Settled what? The fight, sir. Damn me, Jack! I haven't settled it at all. That's bad, sir. I know it is. But it shall be settled for all that, I can tell him. Let him vapour as much as he may about pinking me and one thing and another. Pinking you, sir? Yes. He wants to fight with cutlasses or toasting forks. Damn me, I don't know exactly which. And then he must have a surgeon on the ground for fear when he pinks me I shouldn't slip my cable in a regular way and he should be blamed. Jack gave a long whistle as he replied, "'Going to do it, sir? I don't know what I'm going to do. Mind, Jack, mum's the word.' "'Aye, aye, sir. I'll turn the matter over in my mind, then decide upon what has best be done. If he pinks me, I'll take damn good care he don't pink Charles.' "'No, sir. Don't let him do that. Vampire, sir, ain't no good opponent to anyone.' I never seed one afore, but it strikes me as the best way to settle him will be to shut him up in some little bit of a cabin, and then smoke him with brimstone, sir. Well, well, I'll consider, Jack, I'll consider. Something must be done, and that quickly, too. Sounds! Here's Charles. What the deuce shall I say to him by way of an excuse, I wonder, for not arranging his affair with Varney? Hang me! If I ain't taken aback now and don't know where to place a hand. End of chapter twenty three.